third show on Saturday, August 10th at 10 p.m. at the Atlantis Lounge, 3552 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the Feminist Film Night and Planned Parenthood fundraiser on Friday, August 16th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater in Portland. This Planned Parenthood fundraiser will screen A Girl Like Her, which tells the hidden history of over a million young women who became pregnant in the 1950s and 60s and were banished to maternity homes to give birth and surrender their babies for adoption. And Jane, an abortion service, a documentary of Jane. The Chicago-based women's health group performed nearly 12,000 safe illegal abortions between 1969 and 1973. There will be a conversation after the films between a former Jane, Judith Arcana, and a girl like her, Lonnie Jo Lee. Again, that's the Feminist Film Night and Planned Parenthood fundraiser on Friday, August 16th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater, 2522 Southeast Clinton Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. This is KBOO Portland. Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Donald Trump, not surprisingly, pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement. This caused consternation and protests around the world by both world leaders and environmentalists. Although the agreement was considered by environmentalists to be weak, not to have gone far enough to confront the environmental crisis facing our planet. World leaders, nevertheless, have said they will proceed to implement the agreement without the United States. And French President Emmanuel Macron said it is unacceptable for Donald Trump to say he now wants to renegotiate the agreement. That won't happen, says Macron, who recently was photographed holding a sign that said, Make the planet great again. Of course, a play on Trump's nationalistic Make America Great Again. Meanwhile, on a community-based grassroots level, environmentalists who long gave up hope that governments would provide any leadership in solving the environmental crisis and who have long accepted that governments have to be pushed from the bottom up continue to do their hard day-to-day work, work that is local and global, and work that also takes its toll on communities hardest hit by environmental devastation and poverty. It also takes takes a toll on individuals within those communities. In working to heal Mother Earth, are we working to heal ourselves? We will have a wide-ranging and in-depth conversation with two key environmental leaders, Anne Peterman, Executive Director of the Global Justice Ecology Project, and Indigenous campaigner Clayton Thomas Mueller. We discuss the recent One Planet Summit, GE seeds, GE trees, even GE salmon, tar sands, growing up indigenous, and much more. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandiri. President Trump visits El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio today, sites of this weekend's mass shootings, which killed a total of 31 people. Protesters will be there, pointing to his racist and anti-immigrant rhetoric that they contend fueled the El Paso shooter, who drove more than nine hours to unleash his deadly barrage. El Paso's mayor said he would be there in his official capacity to greet Trump, saying he considers it his duty. A Democratic state lawmaker, Mary Gonzalez, told CNN she'll take part in the protest. I'm protesting the fact that this isn't an accident, that there are things that have happened before that caused a man to drive nine hours to our beautiful, loving, kind community and 
target people of color, Latino people. We have to, at some point, start to dismantle some of the discriminatory rhetoric that's being used in this country that, that then puts our, my city and my home as a target. Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke, who served El Paso for three terms as a congressman, will participate in a counter-rally time to coincide with Trump's visit. He said on Twitter, quote, we don't need more division, we need to heal, he has no place there. Trump snapped back with a tweet that O'Rourke, quote, should respect the victims and law enforcement and be quiet. The mayor of Dayton said she considers it her formal duty to appear with Trump when he visits her city. She said she'd hope Trump would say more with respect to gun safety legislation, and she said people who oppose the president should make that clear. He, you know, he's made this bet and he's got a lie in it, you know. Uh, he hasn't, you know, um, his rhetoric has been painful for many in our community, uh, and I think that people should stand up and say they're not happy if they're not happy that he's coming. The FBI is opening a domestic terrorism investigation into the Gilroy, California Garlic Festival shooting that killed three people, including two children and injured 13 others. FBI Special Agent John Bennett says discovery of a target hit list prompted the move. The FBI and the Gilroy Police Department investigators have uncovered a list of organizations on the subject's digital media that may have been potential targets of violence. These organizations from across the country include religious institutions, federal buildings, courthouses, political organizations from both major political parties, and the Gilroy Garlic Festival. Bennett declined to say who or what organizations were on the 19-year-old gunman's hit list. He said Santino Legan left no manifesto or written explanation behind, but said investigators cannot rule out white nationalism as a factor. On the day of the attack, Legan urged his Instagram followers to read a 19th century book popular with white supremacists who follow extremist websites. The American Civil Liberties Union is suing to overturn the Trump administration's new expansion of deportation powers. It alleges in a federal lawsuit that the policy violates constitutional rights and could lead to errors, including deporting U.S. citizens. The lawsuit calls the extension of the policy allowing immigration officers to deport migrants without allowing them to appear before judges as dramatic and illegal. Previously, the policy applied to those caught within 100 miles of the U.S. border and who had been in the country less than two weeks. Last month, the administration announced that immigration agents can now apply it anywhere nationwide to those in the country without authorization for up to two years. Berkeley, California Mayor Jesse Aragin has signed a law making the city the first in the country to ban the use of natural gas for heating or cooking in new commercial or residential buildings. They'll have to go electric. It's part of the city's plan to eliminate the greenhouse gas emissions causing the climate crisis, and it's sparking nationwide interest. Clara Ingersoll reports. According to the mayor's office, 27% of Berkeley's greenhouse gas emissions are derived from transportation and the burning of natural gas. Mayor Jesse Oregon says the new gas ban will help Berkeley achieve its goal to be carbon neutral by 2030. That's 15 years ahead of California's goal. Since the adoption of this ordinance, over 50 jurisdictions have expressed interest in what we have passed, and it's now up to them to follow our lead if we are to make an impact on climate change before it's too late. I'm Clara Ingersoll. A Taliban car bomb aimed at Afghan security forces ripped through a busy Kabul neighborhood, killing 14 people and wounding 145. The Taliban said it targeted a recruitment center for security forces, but most of the victims were women, children, and other civilians. The explosion detonated shortly after the Taliban and the U.S. reported progress on negotiating an end to the nearly 18-year-long war. Those were our news headlines. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and I'm delighted uh, to be in conversation with Ann Peterman, executive director of the Global Justice Ecology Project and indigenous campaigner uh, Clayton Thomas Mueller. Let me tell you something about both of them. First, I'd like to welcome Ann Peterman. Ann, thank you for joining us. 
Thank you so much, Margaret. And Peterman, Executive Director of Global Justice Ecology Project. She's also the coordinator of the Stop GE Trees campaign, the North American focal point for the Global Forest Coalition and a member of the board of directors of the Will Miller Social Justice Lecture Series. She has been involved in movements for forest protection and indigenous rights since 1991 and the international and national climate justice movements since 2004. She co-founded the Eastern North American Resource Center of the Native Forest Network in 1993 and the Stop GE Trees campaign in 2004. She speaks around the world about climate justice and against socially and environmentally destructive false solutions to climate change. So, Anne, we're very good to have you back, and we want to thank Anne Peterman, too, who does our Earth Minute on Sojourner Truth, and we also partner with the Global Justice Ecology Project for our weekly Earth Watch. So, Anne, delighted to have you back. I would also like to welcome back Clayton Thomas Mueller. Clayton, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and uh, Clayton Thomas Mueller, a member of the Treaty Number no. 6 base, Matthias Colomb Creek Nation in northern Manitoba, Canada. Based in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, Clayton Thomas Mueller is the Stop It at the Source campaigner with 350.org. Clayton is an organizer, facilitator, public speaker, and writer on indigenous rights and environmental economic justice. He is the author and producer of the Life in the City of Dirty Water multimedia project. Uh, these are stories of uh, colonization and displacement of indigenous peoples from sacred lands and uh, stories of colonial trauma and healing. So, uh, Clayton, we're very glad to have you back as well. What we're going to do now, um, and then have you both comment I found this really interesting. I want to play a clip from a film called Genetic Roulette. And it's a film that talks about uh, Monsanto and uh, genetically modified foods and seeds and Roundup and all of that sort of thing. And we know that we are in a situation now facing the Monsanto-Bayer merger, controlling at least one quarter, if not more, of the world's seeds. But this is a clip about from that film about the Monsanto master plan. When I heard the Monsanto master plan, I was stunned. The goal of Monsanto was to replace all natural seed, to have all global agriculture completely driven by genetically modified seed and to create a market for the chemicals associated with those genetically modified seed. Uh, There was no sense of nature. There was discussion of how to eliminate natural seed. When I get in discussions with people, they say, well, the government reviewed them, the governments approved them, Uh, there were mountains of studies done. It couldn't have gotten it that wrong, and if it was so bad, somebody would speak up about it. Uh, But in in reality, the few people that have spoken up about it have have paid a high personal and and professional price for it. The the attacks on on people who have raised questions about this technology are are, uh, very well covered. They're they're no secret, and they've had a very chilling effect on the willingness of other scientists to, to even want to carry out the work. Uh, you know, it, one way to discourage scientists from working in an area is to um, show them that if they happen to come up with findings that don't jive with the PR message from the biotech industry, and if they were to go on and publish their results or talk about them at a professional meeting, that their dean is going to be visited by a contingent from the companies. Politicians in, at the state level will be visited and said, gee, you know what's going on in the agronomy department at the university? There's this professor. He's out, he's out to hurt your farmers. You better, you better call the dean up and, and get, get that person back on message. Uh, and this happens absolutely routinely. And quite frankly, 
because of the direct uh, investments of these companies in our universities, new professors know very well that if you expect to get tenure, don't do any negative research on GMOs. All righty. So I, I brought that down a little bit early there, um, Anne and Clayton. But Anne, starting with you, even though some of it was kind of a defense of, of a scientist's reluctance, right, to speak out, saying that they have a heavy price to pay. Well, so does the environment and people impacted by this stuff. But um, Anne Peterman, just starting out with you, I wanted uh, your thoughts weighing in on the role in the United States, but also internationally, of these multinational companies like Monsanto and uh, Bayer. Well, yeah, as you were mentioning, that the major concern about Monsanto and Bayer is that if this merger goes through and they are they control a quarter of the world's food supply with their their tainted seeds, their genetically engineered seeds, and their chemicals that go along with the seeds, you know, we're, t- we're looking at a major ecological disaster, even if people can't see it. Um, evidently, when they look out in the field, the GMO cornfield, you know, what they're not seeing is the the herbicide-resistant weeds that are in there. They're, they're not seeing the pesticides that are killing off the pollinators that are in there. They're not seeing the, you know, the future generations of GMO seeds that are coming along because of the herbicide resistant seeds, the dicamba resistant uh, crops, which have actually been banned in certain states because they're so toxic. Um, you know, so this is an ecological disaster, and the U.S. is trying to export it around the world with the help of the Gates Foundation, trying to put it all over Africa. Um, and, and really forcing it down the throats of people who don't want it. South America, certain countries in South America are suffering huge prices because of GMO soy that's been pushed on them from the United States and these multinationals. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a social disaster and it's an ecological disaster, and it's being pushed by companies based right here in the U.S. And their concern about uh, the bottom line, which is profit over people and the environment. And, and Clayton Thomas Mueller, just having you uh, weigh in here, I mean, I was interested to hear um, about this master plan that not only do they want to control a quarter of all seeds, but they want to replace all natural seed. And when you think of the, the impact on indigenous lands, I mean, I know you are north of the border, yeah. so named border in Canada, but south of the so named border in Mexico, even the indigenous corn. Um, where can you find that anymore? Because there's been so much contamination from these GMO, um, genetically engineered seeds. Clayton. Yeah. Well, you know, across these lands they call Canada, we are blessed to, you know, also be home to the the, the Haudenosaunee, um, who are a transboundary nation, you know, with lands in the United States and here in Canada and you know, uh, all members of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, uh, the Mohawk, uh, the Cayuga, uh, Onondaga, you know, share a sacred relationship as an agricultural uh, society with the sacred uh, white corn in many varieties. And there are many, many other varieties other than the white corn um, that the Haudenosaunee uh, continue to this day uh, to exercise uh you know, sovereignty over territorial jurisdiction over part of their self-government, their their indigenous governance, this food security and control um, over the food that they produce. And, you know, these seeds um, that they've protected, you know, for time immemorial um, are all threatened by these toxic uh, genetically modified organisms that, you know, corporations like Monsanto and Bayer want to bring into the world. And um, as we've seen, you know, in all ecology, uh, biodiversity, you know, diversity is such an incredibly huge safeguard um, against diseases, against blights, against, you know, uh, our rapidly destabilizing climate and unpredictable weather-related uh, events. Um, diversity is, 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 is a very important thing in our food systems. And indigenous peoples have known this for millennia, and that's one of the reasons that we've seed saved. You know, we've taken care of different seeds for different moments in time where there's been drought or too much rain or, you know, or, or vice versa. And through our traditional indigenous knowledge, you know, we've been able to uh, foresee things that are coming. But when we look at, you know, the agenda of corporations uh, like Monsanto, 
um, you know, and now Bayer, um, you know, and, 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 and their goal to monetize the sacred, to monetize the commons uh, for a bottom line of profit, this directly goes against the world and cosmo vision of indigenous peoples, including our indigenous agricultural societies that, that exist here in, in Canada as well, but the world over. So this is something that, you know, we need to put a stop to. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental human rights issue, as Anne pointed out. You know, there are places in the world that are already being devastated uh, by the disappearance of pollinators, by the disappearance of the diversity of seeds that are being planted. Uh, you know, there is intrusion of indigenous crops all the world over by genetically modified organisms, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, like these terminator seeds. And uh, it's something that, you know, people need to understand uh, is, is weakening our ability to feed ourselves. It's putting uh, a centralized power and control over that uh, when, you know, the control over farming and growing food and that sacred relationship with the land should be, you know, in every household, in every family um, that is involved in growing food. Yeah, and, uh, you know, both uh, thank you, uh, Clayton Thomas Mueller, I guess also, and Peterman. Uh, to both of you, I mean, not only are campaigners like yourself, but all of us who are concerned about what's happening to Mother Earth up against these um, market-driven uh, companies and, and policies. And Donald Trump, by the way, is very enthusiastic about this Monsanto-Bear merger, you know, not surprisingly. And Monsanto is now also offering money. They want to pay farmers to use, you know, their toxic uh, pesticides, right, knowing that people are struggling um, economically. But we're also up against governments. I mean, well, there's Trump on the one hand. Well, you know, with all of his deregulation and, and climate change denial, et cetera. And then you have government leaders who put themselves forward as environmentalists. I mean, recently, uh, Macron, Emmanuel Macron in France, um, had this, um, what was it, the, the One Planet uh, summit and talked about establishing a one planet coalition and he had pretty good rhetoric uh, saying that we're losing the battle against global warming and climate change that's an exact quote the international community is not moving fast enough and that's a tragedy um, and he's warning against a permanent emergency as and he called it the challenge of our generation so he's saying that on the other hand and uh, they came up with some money about countries of the north promising up to a billion dollars, right, uh, to help with this stuff, to, uh, particularly to help countries of the global south. Uh, but then, you know, he's putting forward somebody like Bill Gates, you know, who's putting in millions of dollars into the agricultural uh, research. And we know in places like Africa now they're talking about a super bean, a GE bean, you know, as a way of attacking world hunger. So, Ann Peterman, just um, your thoughts on, on these kinds of initiatives like this One Planet uh, Coalition uh, that met in France. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, clearly when we're, we're talking about um, these giant mergers of, of Bayer and Monsanto and then the people who are promoting them, and they always have this, this, this nice green wash to go with it. We're going to feed Africa. We're going to make sure that the world has enough food. We're going to stop the vitamin A deficiencies with our golden rice. And, you know, we've got magic GMO bananas and all of this stuff. And it's, it's really just about selling their... Um, unwanted in the u.s you know there's a huge movement against gmos they're unwanted seeds and they're unwanted foods um to other markets you know if they're going to be rejected in certain areas they'll push them somewhere else kind of like the, the tobacco industry did with the you know the backlash against cigarettes in the u.s now you can find very cheap cigarettes uh throughout the global south um you know that is a is a very real strategy that they have and it's it's quite it's quite um, horrifying, right? And and Clayton, I mean, 
it is a catchy <laughs> phrase. I mean, Macron, he's not a stupid man coming up with this make our planet yeah. great again, thumbing his nose at Trump's make America uh, great again. And, you know, that's caught the eye of, of people around the world. Um, is something like that useful in any way um, in terms of the bottom line work of uh, environmentalists like yourself? Look, you know, Macron and his suave plays, you know, emerging as one of the, you know, so-called leaders of the free world in a post-Obama era. We in Canada are no stranger to this type of PR tactic. You know, we have uh, Justin Trudeau, who's being sold as a sex symbol across the planet and <laughs> promising all kinds of climate leadership and action on climate. You know, at the Paris climate talks two years ago, he committed to the you know, call of small island nations to commit to a 1.5 degree imperative. Uh, and then weeks later, returned back to Canada and approved two massive tar sands pipelines, Kinda Morgan's Trans Mountain and Enbridge's Line 3. Um, so, you know, these global leaders have massive, massive interest, corporate interests, backing their uh, forked uh, tongue, you know, their sweet talk. And Macron is no different. You know, when we look at the world of genetically modified seeds and, you know, big fossil fuel-centered agricultural sector, this is intimately connected to some of the technological and uh, 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 market-based fixes that, you know, governments of the world are deeply invested in. And many, uh, you know, from social movements that are fighting against uh, what we refer to as false climate solutions are holding these governments accountable because, you know, when we look at the, you know, take forest offsets, for example, you know, these countries like France, the European Union, uh, the United States, uh, 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 um, you know, all of the big superpowers are heavily invested in what we call market-based or techno fixes to the global climate crisis. But as we've seen uh, through the World uh, uh, Bank's uh, clean development mechanism and you know, other uh, markets that have emerged to uh, monetize, um, you know, the, the adaptive and mitigative uh, uh, solutions to climate change, they are fraught with difficulties, uh, human rights abuses, uh, the commodification of forests and lands that indigenous peoples and land-dependent peoples depend on for their livelihood. Lands that they've taken care of for thousands of years are being privatized and uh, turned into commodities to be bought and sold on the World Bank International Carbon uh, Trading Facility. And deeply tied into all of that, you have these agricultural firms that are, you know, selling the soybeans that are being grown in areas of the Amazon rainforest that have been raised for mega farms. You know, they're being fed to the beef industry as cheap uh, feed for, you know, uh, unsustainable beef industry that, you know, is, is, a, is a huge part of the problem as well. You've got all kinds of uh, deeply entrenched and complicated layers in, you know, what is being lifted up as the Paris Agreement. And, you know, the reality of the fact is, is that we need to turn the tap of our fossil fuels. We need to stop subsidizing fossil fuels. And, you know, social movements have won the, the economic arguments against fossil fuel development. We've won uh, the, the, the justice-based arguments to get off of fossil fuels. And we've won the scientific arguments. And, you know, there is a powerful lobby uh, that exists across the planet um, that are lobbying governments like the European Union, like Canada, like the United States, Australia, um, you know, and, 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 and attempting to push for these false solutions that enable, you know, the profiteers, uh, the corporations of the world like, like Monsanto to profit off of the global climate crisis. And, you know, these false solutions don't actually mitigate CO2 in our atmosphere. The only thing that does that is turning off the tap. Yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, there, you know, a, a lot was made of the announcement uh, made at this um, so-named um, One Planet uh, Coalition about the World Bank, you know, not funding some of these upstream um, 
you know, fossil fuel developments. But um, this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And our guest today, we're having an in-depth conversation with two leading environmental activists and campaigners, Ann Peterman with the Global Justice Ecology Project, indigenous campaigner Clayton Thomas uh, Mueller. And uh, what I'd like to do now, um, Ann Peterman, a subject very, very close to your heart, to yours as well, uh, Clayton, this business about GE trees. And I want to just play a short clip from a, a, just a short, short piece from uh, Rain Dancer Media on GE trees. The prospect of GE trees and the corporations that are pushing this technology, is, it's really breathtaking. I mean, they're looking at 184 million acres of forests around the world. So their dream is to cut down all those forests and instead have these industrial, monocultured, essentially tree factories. No insects, no birds, no ecosystem, no life. These trees aren't really even trees. Any natural behavior of a tree is inhibited. So imagine that. That's their dream. That is where they're going to make their money. Down go all the force, up come these tree factories, millions and millions of acres, these monocultures, whether they're going to be eucalyptus or poplar. That's their dream. That's going to be all these trees that they're then going to cut down and plant every couple of years for fuel. You know, Ann Peterman, that is so frightening. The idea of these forests or plantations or whatever you want, franken trees, no insects, no birds, no life. I mean... And Peterman, on, on the GE trees, you've been on this for so long now and uh, taking so many initiatives and campaigning against these GE trees. But for any of our listeners who may not know uh, where things are at with the GE trees and, and why they're so dangerous, uh, tell us, Anne Peterman. Sure. Well, yeah, it's it's very much dependent on the species that we're talking about. And right now, the USDA has given um, preliminary approval to a genetically engineered eucalyptus tree for planting across the southeast, basically along the Gulf Coast, but all the way from South Carolina to Texas. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a huge ba- uh, public campaign to stop this, and 284,000 people signed petitions to stop it and uh, as part of a campaign that we led. And, you know, we're talking about trees that are not native to the United States. They're not even native to North America or the Americas at all. They're native only really to Australia. And they want to put these things across the southeast. These are explosively flammable trees when they get into any kind of a drought situation, which we saw this year in Chile, which had the worst wildfires in its history because of eucalyptus plantations, and in Portugal, they had, you know, unbelievably historic wildfires because of eucalyptus plantations, and people, you know, dozens of people were killed, and so they're talking about putting these things along the Gulf Coast in the southeast. Um, Not only are they explosively flammable, they actually drink up water like crazy, so they worsen drought, drought situations. So, the southeast, as we know, has periodically been hit by droughts, and with climate change, this is getting more severe. This is just going to make things worse. And yes, they're because they're not native. Wildlife can't use these trees. Birds can't use these trees. They're they're a nightmare. They're a total nightmare. And the USDA is poised to give them approval, to give them a rubber stamp, because the USDA loves GMOs. So why not these genetically engineered trees? Why, just, why do they look, want these trees? I mean, what what good, well, good, or what are they saying would be the benefit of these tree plantations? Sure. Well, eucalyptus is actually the favorite plantation tree um, in the world. So th- there are already vast um, plantations of eucalyptus trees, not genetically engineered, just eucalyptus trees uh, throughout Brazil and in, the, in, the, in, the, um, in Central Africa and uh, various other places in in, um, Asia. You know, this zone, this temperate, uh, excuse me, tropical zone and subtropical zone where eucalyptus can grow, but they can't grow in the United States very well because it's too cold, but they grow really fast. So in five to seven years, you've got a 50 to 75 foot tree. And so they, you know, they're great for the pulp and paper industry. They're great for burning for biomass because they're a hardwood tree. Um, they're great for turning into pulp and paper. They're great for all kinds of things, for turning into charcoal in Brazil. 
for which is actually for making steel um, or pig iron that's going to be made into steel. Uh, so they can, you know, there are fast growing wood trees. Here they like them for biomass in the United States for burning to make electricity, so-called green electricity. Um, you know, it's crazy, but yeah, they're fast growing and so they want them to grow here, but they have to genetically engineer them because it's too cold. So that's the main, that's the main thing here. Yeah, but you know, the, the, and the green alternative of this, I mean, just if it weren't so tragic, laughable there. But once you have genetically engineered trees, I mean, trees live for a very long time, right? And they have an impact on the not only the water, but ecosystem, because this stuff is bound to spread. You know what I mean? And and what impact will that then have on the rest of nature that's anywhere close to these tree plantations, not to mention people who are working these tree plantations or who live, happen to live close by? Sure, and and so the, I'm talk, I was just mentioning a non-native tree, which is the eucalyptus, but they're also genetically engineering native trees. They're genetically engineering poplar trees for plantations. They're genetically engineering the American chestnut tree. They want to have, and this is a very interesting um, situation because they're actually engineering them to, quote unquote, restore the forest in the east. And so they want to actually have trees that are fully fertile. So a major issue with GMO crops is the contamination problem, right? You have GMO corn that can contaminate organic corn or non-GMO corn um, and so on. Many, many instances, documented instances of contamination in crops. And here we have a genetically engineered tree that they want to, that can grow for hundreds of years. You know, American chestnut trees are documented to grow for 250, 300 years or more that they want to put out in the forest in a fully fertile state with the intention of contaminating other American chestnut trees, not to mention, you know, people who are trying to grow orchards of chestnuts for people to eat um, are also threatened with this contamination. It's, it's insane what they're trying to do. And, and under the guise of forest restoration, so, you know, they have this green umbrella that, and trying to put out these genetically engineered trees that will interact in unknown ways with the soils, with the microorganisms, with the insects, with the birds, with the wildlife, with the other trees. There's no way to know what the long-term impact of these trees will be, and there's no way to find out. They want to just put them out there and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Wow, that that really gives new meaning to chestnuts roasting on an open fire, right? You know, the um, all-America pastime for the holidays. Um, Clayton, we're going to want you to weigh in on this, but what we're going to need to do now is to just take a short station break, and when we return, we'll continue this discussion with Ann Peterman and Clayton thomas Mueller. This is KBOO Portland. It's 8.37. Stay tuned for Beloved Community after Sojourner Truth. John Shuck speaks with Mark Taliano, author of Voices from Syria. And then at 10 o'clock, Madness Radio talks to Arnold Mendel, founder of Process-Oriented Psychology, about his more than 40 years of work and the ancient belief in a purposeful dreaming reality. Then at 10.30, film at 11. New documentary about Paul Butterfield and DVD release of Amazing Grace with Arisa Franklin. The Digital Divide has Dr. Joel Moskowitz, director of the UC Berkeley Center for Family and Community Health. And that is the late, great Michael Jackson's Earth Song, pleading, what have they done to the world? This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Check us out on our website at www.sotrueradio.org, where all of our back shows are also 
archived and um also, if you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook. We're also on SoundCloud. Look for Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott. And we're heard by thousands of people in countries around the world on SoundCloud. And today we want to give a special shout out to our SoundCloud listeners um, north of the border. Perhaps we have some SoundCloud listeners in Winnipeg in Canada. Uh, so we would like to welcome them. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we're having a one-hour in-depth conversation um, with environmentalists, leading environmentalists, Ann Peterman, executive director of the Global Justice Ecology Project, and indigenous environmentalist uh, Clayton Thomas uh, Mueller. And Clayton is also the Stop It, the Stop It at the Source campaigner with 350. He's an organizer, facilitator, public speaker, and he's the author of produce and producer of this new project called Life in the City of Dirty Water. It's a multimedia project. And uh, Clayton and Anne, what we're going to do is I want to go to a clip from Life in the City of Dirty Water. And But Clayton, that still means you could also weigh in on the GE Trees yeah. discussion in addition to talking about this project. Let's go to that clip now. You know, Winnipeg's got the biggest urban population of native people in any city in Canada. It's the biggest urban reserve as they call it. It's got a lot of bad reputation. It's like stab city, stab peg, racist peg. You know, I love this place though. And I love all the people here, even the people that done me wrong. Growing up in and out of the city over my lifetime, I was exposed to a lot of violence. You know, go outside and wash the blood off my brother's car. She like ran down the street with this rig sticking out of her arm and her underwear, and this protruding bone out of her shin. I remember all these little Indian kids and these corrections officers terrorized them. He's beating her on the bed and she's screaming and I went, hey daddy, look what I made. It's an airplane so I can fly away from you. Train tracks, they connect me back through space and time to the limited and, and cherished moments I had with my great-grandparents and our family's trap line. When they spoke, I was moved because they said, you know, we've got this thing going on in our territory that's so big, so difficult, we can't even really describe it to you. You have to come see it. We need your help. And what we seen when we flew over the tar sands there, it absolutely and fundamentally changed my life. You know, all that work, you know, supporting these communities, winning victories, losing, losing, winning, losing, learning. I don't sugarcoat or romanticize the movement. And I try to be as honest as I can about the emotional and spiritual consequence and toll that this work takes on you. When you do this work, you have to never stop talking to Creator. I came back to Winnipeg after 16 years of being away. I had to face all my demons. Moving back to Winnipeg was all about ending a cycle of violence and abuse. And I forgive for all the shame and, and pain that I carried my whole life. And just because I forgive you doesn't mean I don't want justice. Wow, <laughs> this is uh, powerful stuff, uh, Clayton Thomas Mueller's, whose voice you just heard, and this is uh, from the multimedia project, uh, Life in the City of Dirty Water. And uh, Clayton, you were on uh, Sojourner Truth on our show not that long ago, and we did a short uh, piece uh, with you on this. And at, at that time, I promise, I said, you yeah. have to come back and, and, and really talk more about it. But, you know, you talk, you touch on a number of things there about um, the limits 
limited and cherished moments. I I, I got that with your uh, great grand uh, parents and um, just uh, not sugarcoating anything in terms of the the work in the movement and and the you know some of the violence yeah. and other things you grew up around. So Clayton, just just tell us a bit more about where this is is coming from. Well, I think that you know. I decided to do this this transmedia project this year. Uh, I wanted to put it out into the world. Um, of course, you know, the documentary itself and the book will drop in early 2018, you know, this spring. Um, but, you know, for me, it was time, um, you know, as, a, as an Indigenous man, you know, growing up in, in, you know, under the occupation of a settler colonial state called Canada and my homeland, um, you know, the epidemic of, of suicide and domestic violence and, you know, uh, uh, just violence in the Native community that represents the echoes of colonization, um, you know, that really haven't, you know, been addressed in a meaningful way. I mean, sure, Canada has apologized for Indian residential schools. Um, you know, there is a, a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that had just uh, released 96 recommendations for how Canada can get it right with its Indigenous population. Um, and right now there's a murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls national inquiry that is, you know, falling apart and rocked with controversy. Um, you know, it's the 150th year anniversary of, of, of the Canadian uh, state uh, this year. It's Canada's 150th birthday. And so this is the year that I wanted to introduce uh, Life in the City of Dirty Water and to present it uh, in a multimedia platform uh, way. So, you know, listeners uh, can go to the website, lifeinthecityofdirtywater.com. They can watch video vignettes of stories about growing up Indigenous in the city of Winnipeg, which carries the title of, you know, largest urban reservation in Canada. It's got the highest urban population of Native people here in my hometown where I'm speaking to you from. Um, and, you know, I, like many Indigenous peoples, uh, you know, experienced firsthand uh, the impacts of having parents who went to the church-run Indian residential schools. You know, my mom and my late father were, were our residential school survivors. And, mm. you know, I think that the, the things that we went through as a family, you know, through my childhood were, were very reflective of what they faced, uh, you know, being taken away by the, from their parents by the state and put into these church-run schools. Um, so this project is very much about, you know, um, uh, a man who's turned 40, who's a father, um, confronting trauma in a meaningful way. Um, you know, this book project started off as a healing uh, initiative, you know, a, a journaling thing, uh, and it grew into what it is now, you know, a short documentary, a podcast, a book, um, you know, video vignettes that people can watch on the website. But, you know, the hopes behind this project are that through sharing uh, stories of trauma and overcoming said trauma uh, in a way that, you know, is rooted fundamentally in our, in, our, in our sacred culture, in our Sundance way of life, in, you know, the way of the pipe, in the way of going into the sweat lodge and reconnecting with that sacred feminine creative principle, you know, with our most sacred mother, Mother Earth, um, that, you know, other men can begin to address, uh, you know, the post-traumatic stress that they're, that they're dealing with in their lives. And, you know, that Indigenous peoples in general that have been living in an urbanized, displaced context, that they too would maybe be able to derive some, some, some power, some strength from this storytelling project to tell their own stories um, to their families, to their communities, through uh, new media forms uh, like the ones that are, are being utilized for this transmedia project. Yeah, and and Ann Peterman, I I remember quite a while back. In fact, the first time that I heard anything about tar sands. Indeed, I think maybe it was from you, Clayton, but it was from a show Ann Peterman that the Global Justice Ecology Project helped us uh, to connect and put forward, and that was before tar sands became as well known as it is now. And Ann. 
Peterman, one of the roles that you play and Global uh, um, Justice Ecology Project is that you really you you work on making the way for voices of of the indigenous. Why is that so central um, to your work? Well, it's it's just it's really crucial. There is there is so much experience out there by in in the indigenous communities globally um, about climate change and the real solutions to climate change, as well as direct experience with the impacts of climate change and the fossil fuels industry and all of the connected um, industries with fossil fuels that are impacting indigenous communities. That it really felt to us as climate justice activists and as an organization with a focus on climate change that getting those voices out there was a key part of people understanding climate justice and what climate justice actually means and what the, the not only what the impacts are but what the potential solutions are and uh, we had lots of meetings with um, indigenous and farmers and social movement groups from around the world at these international UN meetings which is where we connected with you and the Sojourner Truth show for the first time in Copenhagen in 2009 and, uh, you know, through those meetings had these really rich conversations about the real solutions to climate change. And, you know, there, there really are thousands of them. And so feeling like we wanted to get not just the indigenous voices, but the frontline voices, the voices of people who know what those solutions are and who know firsthand what the impacts are from climate change. Um, but, not, you know, and since climate change, we've moved on to a lot of other areas, forest protection and so on. And before we got involved in the international climate movement. We were doing indigenous solidarity work, you know, with people of Abenaki in Vermont when they were trying to get state recognition um, and other people in the Northeast who are working to protect their own lands or regain their territories. Uh, and then we've moved on to other places, Chiapas and Nicaragua and so on and so forth. And it's always about the land. It's always about people wanting control over their ancestral lands, wanting to retain that control and governments and the UN and these bodies trying to take that control away to use for you know, profit making for false solutions to climate change and so on. So really trying to get those stories out there, I think, is a key part of finding real solutions and finding out how we can deal and address climate change in the long run. Yeah. And, and Clayton Thomas uh, Mueller, uh, back to you. I I was quite mm-hmm. struck that in, in the um, life in the city of, of dirty water, and you talk about having indigenous beats and, and intermix and one lyric that really stood out, I found it on your website, that uh, and it, it touched something I know within me, being of, of African descent. It says, when I was a child, I used to hide my nation's feathers because to me they represented shame. Now I'd be grown up, I'd be rocking the eagle feather. Look into the eyes of my enemies, I see them crumble like a bullet shattering your brain. I said they crumble like a bullet shattering your brain. That that is really powerful yeah. stuff and and so much the experience of people peoples who have been dehumanized you know what i mean have had so much yeah. stripped from them culture language uh so much and, and made to feel shame for who you are and in this work you're really reclaiming this and of course the the big struggle of the the coda access pipeline has really brought that struggle to the forefront for people to see that movement around the world clayton absolutely you know no doubt standing rock has changed the world as we know it. Uh, the fight against energy transfers and their Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, you know, before that, other visible fights on a global level to protect the sacredness of Mother Earth led by Indigenous people, such as the International Indigenous Tar Sands Campaign, uh, you know, the fight against the Montevello Dam in Brazil, many others are about Indigenous peoples, both, uh, you know, uh, in their original communities and displaced populations living in any city uh, across the earth. Um, you know, these social movement moments um, are all about reclaiming uh, what has been stripped away through the process of being dispossessed from your land, um, you know, and hit the nail right on the head in saying that it's all about land. Um, you know, poverty, uh, you know, everything that comes with colonization, uh, with, with occupation, um, you know, it, it all comes down with the interruption of a relationship to the sacredness of the place where you live. 
And I think what's beautiful about the cultural revolution that's happening in so-called Indian country in the United States and here in Canada and the world over, really, is that through reclaiming our indigeneity, um, indigenous peoples are, 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 are both undoing the harm that has been brought to us, the cultural genocide that has been brought to us by Western uh, interference, and we are also, uh, you know, continuing to, um, you know, take the high road and, 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 and continuing to reach out our hand um, to the other members of this human race and to say that, you know, we're only a few generations from being disconnected from our traditional way of life, from living as part of an ecosystem, as part of a biosphere, not above it, dominating and controlling it. And we are happy to share with you how to get connected to the sacredness, the place where you live. And I think this is key in this moment, in this Trump era, you know, this era of Trumpism, of, of, of apathy, of fear, um, that, you know, humanity finds a way to be connected to the sacredness, the place that they find themselves. You know, Native people are not telling European people to go back to Europe. Um, you know, my own family, I mean, my wife is Dutch, you know, she's, uh, she's, uh, she's a, a Mennonite, um, you know, and, and our kids are mixed race. Um, you know, I don't want her to go anywhere else. Um, but what we are saying, though, is that, you know, we're here and our traditional knowledge uh, is, is here to help people connect to the sacredness of the place so that they actually care enough to go out into the streets and out into the land and to put their bodies in the way of uh, the corporations of the world, the, you know, big oil, uh, the fossil fuel-centered uh, agricultural sector, uh, and all of the other corporations that would, you know, have us just continue to watch our tablets, our iPhones, and our laptops and not pay attention to their great privatization agenda, you know, and, and I think that that you know, for me, with this this project, this very personal storytelling project, you know, uh, for the non-native uh, participant that comes to hear the stories, you know, my goal for them is that they are motivated to, you know, find a pathway forward to reevaluate their relationship to the sacredness, the place that they find themselves, and to connect, um, so that they, you know, feel empowered to fight for what is right, you know, for fundamental human rights, for a clean safe and healthy environment, you know, so that our kids can, you know, grow up in a place where they can live and work and play and pray in a, in a, in a, you know, with clean water, uh, a clean atmosphere and clean earth. Absolutely. And uh, I'm just looking at the clock. I just can't believe how the time has flown here. And Peterman, for people who want to know more about your work about Global Justice Ecology Project, G- the GE Trees, and so many of the other campaigns you are involved in, what should they do? Um, well, you know, check out our website. Uh, we're also on social media. You can search Global Justice Ecology Project to find us on uh, all kinds of social media as well as going to globaljusticeecology.org to our website where you can learn more about these issues and much more detail about GE trees and uh, the various things we've been talking about. Right. And uh, Clayton Thomas Mueller, for people who want to um, get involved, know more about life in the city of, of dirty water, what should they do or any other aspect of your work? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, as a board member of Global Justice Ecology Project, you know, and, and as someone who's been mentored by Ann Peterman and Oren Langell, <laughs> uh, the founders of GJEP, you know, I really encourage you to check out our work on uh, genetically modified trees and all the campaigns that GJEP is doing. Please find pathways to support the incredible work of GJEP. They are uh, leaders uh, in so many ways. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Transmedia Storytelling Project, Life in the City of Dirty Water, if you want to uh, make a donation to support the completion of production, you can check out lifeinthecityofdirtywater.com, uh, just how it's spelled out. And uh, certainly follow me on Twitter, at Cree Clayton, and follow uh, my team and I here in Canada, 350 Canada, that's at 350 Canada, and the good work that we're doing holding Justin Trudeau, uh, our version of uh, Macron, um, you know, and, 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 and holding him to account over his decisions to continue to support the expansion of the tar sands. We're going to stop that, and we're going to stop all of the pipelines coming out of it, including the Keystone XL pipeline that Trump has bought, brought back from the dead. 
Well, thank you so very much. We appreciate you both, Ann Peterman and uh, Clayton Thomas-Mueller. And Clayton, I have to underscore what you have said about um, Global Justice Ecology Project and Ann and Aaron. We want to give a shout out to Aaron Langell uh, because they have partnered with us for years now doing our ongoing series on the environment here on Sojourner Truth. And we certainly appreciate all of their input, all of their work and their patience uh, with us, with our weekly Earth Minute and, and Earth Watch. So, Ann Peterman, right. thank you so very much. And Thank you, Margaret. Yes, and Clayton Thomas-Mueller, thank you. Alrighty. Thank you. We are out of time. Today's show produced by Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank the Sojourner Truth team. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at one 800 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Tune in Saturday, August 10th for a special edition of Grateful Dead and Friends from noon to 2 p.m. The show will be broadcast live from Bloom Garden Supply for their annual summer party featuring food, drinks, and giveaways. Sun will be hosting and playing tunes from the Grateful Dead and Legion of Mary. Again, that's Grateful Dead and Friends live from Bloom Garden Supply on Saturday, August 10th at noon here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. KBU Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBU in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland. The Personnel Committee will meet on the second Monday of each month at 6 p.m. This is KBOO Portland, listener-powered, non-corporate community radio. The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. The aftermath of nonviolence is redemption. The aftermath of nonviolence is reconciliation. The aftermath of violence, however, is bitterness. This is the thing I'm concerned about. Let us fight passionately and unrelentingly for the goal of justice and freedom. Let's be sure that our hands are clean in the struggle. Let us never fight with falsehood and violence and hate and malice, but always fight with love so that when the day comes that the walls of segregation have completely crumbled in Montgomery, that we will be able to live with people as their brothers and sisters. Good morning. This is KBOO Portland. My name is John Shuck, and you are listening to The Beloved Community. The Beloved Community is on the second Friday of every month between 9 and 10 a.m., looking at spirituality, social justice, various issues regarding activism, what's happening in the world, alternative viewpoints to official narratives, and we have one this morning. My guest is from Hamilton, 